Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, while the media continues to buzz over the success of Fifty Shades of Grey, our Christian values and our understanding of womanhood caught in the crossfire. I know this is kind of a topic that, you know, you, you get in conversations with, with, with other women. Because in the midst of a sex-saturated culture, like you said, where can young women and Christian women find examples of femininity and a God-honoring romance? I mean, well, that's really a hard it's a dilemma. It is a dilemma. And I, I know we have talked about this before, how just walking to the airport, when this book came out, like you were inundated, literally, like the book that was coming out on the tables in the kiosk. And I'm here with my daughters, you know, here you are, I was in England and you're seeing this book everywhere and you're realizing, okay, I can't even be safe in the airport <laughs> without no. watching, you know, your kids like going, what is this book about? And they're reading the back of it. And it's, it, it, it was, it's a crazy, crazy, like, like you said, a sex saturated culture. That okay. Before to be... we get too far, I'm going to interrupt I know. you right now because and you, I'm you can go off. You can go off. <laughs> before we get too far into our show, we, uh, we just want to remind you all that you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other information and tips and tricks and all sorts of things on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we are excited about our guest, Hillary Matten Lodge, is the author of Reservations for Two, A Table by the Window, and also Plain Jane, a Carol Award finalist, and Simply Sarah, an ECPA best-selling book. She is a storyteller at heart, and in her free time, she enjoys experimenting in the kitchen, watching foreign films, and exploring her most recent hometown of Portland, Oregon, which I just have to, to say... Um, the fact that she likes to experiment in the ki- kitchen, um, you and I laughed because that's kind of like what, what we, <laughs> we do definitely. We, we love all that time that we get in practicing our, our cooking abilities. And she's saying that in a very mocking way because, <laughs> you know, I was reading this and like, she, like, you know, Hillary collects cookbooks and Patty and I love to read and we have bookshelves filled with books, but I think maybe we have two cookbooks, two, maybe three. Uh, I don't we even know where it. they are. Okay. And one other thing I had to think, you, you and Hillary both shared the thing for foreign films. Oh, I, I saw them. that. I know. I okay. So Hillary, we are so excited to have you join us today and we want to welcome you to the show. And oh, we thank just, you. I'm so excited to be here. We just want to jump right in and uh, talk a little bit about the fact that you like to experiment in the kitchen. So what what is it that you it's love It's a foreign to do? concept to us. But That's why we're saying. We just went from a sex-saturated culture to what do you want to do in the kitchen. So we're going to have to clarify and go back to uh, how we opened the show. To now we're talking about cooking. Connect the dots. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the kitchen, I start with what I want to eat. And then I go from there. And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes it's me trying 
three simultaneous Indian recipes at the same time, um, and that's what leads to exploding eggplants. So sometimes it works well, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes I discover something wonderful and new. Um, and, you know, sometimes you call for takeout, but, you know, it's always fun to explore new things. Okay, that is so funny because speaking of that, starting with what you, you want to eat, uh, just yesterday my my son's in college and he was over for lunch and I said, do you want a peanut butter grilled sandwich? Peanut butter grilled? Yeah, have you never had a peanut butter grilled? Uh, okay, you got to try peanut. Have you, Hillary, had a peanut butter grilled? Um, I don't. I think I used to toast it, but I don't know that I grilled it. But but I can I can I can go where you're going. That sounds good. Oh, it's it's yummy because the peanut butter gets kind of ooey gooey. Yeah. And it's warm and it's just it's yummy. So he said, "Yeah." Well, then when I went and realized I still had leftover turkey in the refrigerator. You know, like you said, you start with kind Plans of what change. you want. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought, well, why give them a peanut butter when I can, you know, use up this turkey that needs to be eaten? And so I made a grilled turkey and cheese sandwich, and, and then mm-hmm. I put lettuce on top of it after you, you grill it, and I put it on the plate or on the table, and when he came out, he saw the lettuce sticking out. And in his <laughs> mind, he thought he was getting a peanut butter grilled sandwich. And he goes, Mom, only you would add lettuce to a grilled peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's really sad that my kids don't think anything is weird about that. <laughs> and he was he was willing to sit down and try it. That's what made it so funny. So, so, so tell, us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Reservations for Two. And um, are you kind of did did you get motivated by Fifty Shades of Grey or or what was the what was the tension there that you felt you know I need to write this book? <laughs> um, so Reservations for Two is the second book of the Two Blue Door series, and I started working on this series long before um, you know Fifty Shades was remotely on anybody's radar. Um, and so, you know, I'm writing, you know, the series and, um, you know, Fifty Shades is um, put out by, you know, my current company, Random House. And so, you know, it's it's interesting at the same time to be under the same parent company and have um, these very, you know, character-driven stories um, that are, you know, part romance, part family drama, um, you know, part family mystery with you know, peppered with, you know, recipes around the same time that, um, you know, the book that is kind of capturing the the moment is it's just a women's fiction towards erotica. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about what we've seen in our media, um, both in, you know, print form as well as, you know, with other forms is that we've seen this fracturization. We've seen how all of the, um, all points of the spectrum are represented and increasingly so. So, you know, not only do you have, um, you know, the increased popularity of erotica, which I think in many ways has, you know, been a factor um, that's been made possible with eBooks. You know, you can be reading and nobody knows what you're reading. Um, But on the other end, you've got people, I have readers who will tell me that the only fiction that they read is Amish fiction. Um, So we've seen just this, you know, increasingly huge range of, you know, options that are out there. Um, You know, whereas, 
you know, even, you know, 100, you know, 200 years ago in publishing, there weren't, you know, nearly that kind of, you know, range for for people. So it's an interesting shift. Yeah, that that is a very interesting shift. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few copycat writers when you see how how popular that the 50 shades of gray. And and I have to admit, I, I I'm going to deny this, this is scaring me when she, when she says this, <laughs> when we go into therapy session, I was intrigued. Uh, I, I knew quite a few people that were reading that book and I, I wanted to read it and justify it by saying, mm-hmm. okay, if I'm going to have it's research and development, yes, it's research and development. <laughs> if I'm going to have these conversations, I need to read what mm-hmm. everybody's talking about before, before I bash it. But, but deep down, I wanted to read it out of, out of curiosity. So, um, even though I would argue with others, you know, why would you feel, you know, put that in your head? Why even read that, that trash? I, I have to admit, um, once again, are you going to make me sign a, yeah. sign a disclaimer? <laughs> I, I, I'm not claiming you today right now, but it's okay. <laughs> no, Hillary, it's, it's, um, you know, this whole topic of combining like the, the journey and writing the story through kind of the journey of, of food, which is very intriguing. And I, and tell us a little bit about how you kind of combined these two to tell the story and how do you, how did you, I mean, did you just combine like, I love food. I love that whole th- you know, aspect yeah you know around that time when um i started conceptualizing the story it was right when kind of foodie fiction and um foodie memoirs were becoming increasingly mainstream and it was right after um the film julia and julia julia had released and so um you know kind of folding that in was you know just felt really really fun and organic um and on the other hand, I'd also been a intern for Northwest Palette Magazine, which unfortunately folded during the recession. Um, but that, you know, I was just fresh out of college, and I came to Portland um, from small town Eugene and was just kind of thrown into this world of, um, you know, food people, people who, you know, really thought deeply about their food and, you know, the the way the lettuce should be cut or not cut in a Caesar salad was a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that, you know, there, there had to be a book in there. And so it was really fun to get to, um, to pull it out from there. But, you know, what I think is interesting about, you know, back to the Fifty Shades conversation um, is the fact that this book is so successful but it's also something that basically every media outlet out there is kind of shaking their head and like, why are people reading this? I mean, it's not just Christians who are, you know, having a moment wondering how this, you know, mm-hmm. could be so very popular. I mean, it's, you know, like every literature critic everywhere. Um, what I think was really interesting, I was reading film reviews and A.O. Scott, who's the reviewer for the New York Times, you know, again, ask the question that had been, you know, on the fingertips of every writer. And, you know, his response, I think, was, well, it, it was that, you know, he's not an expert, but his guess was that it was fun. It was the kind of book that you could have fun with, trash and perish and adapt to the pursuit of your own pleasures, was the way that he put it. Um, and what I thought was interesting is I think that, you know, franchises such as The Bachelor thrive for the same reason. I mean, there's a segment of the market that watches it with sincere interest, 
you know, wondering if these two are really going to get together. Right. Which is probably not. Um, but, yeah, yeah. but then you've got another segment that's watching with the awareness is this is, you know, very much a pseudo-reality, and it's so edited and so manipulated as to be comedic. So, you know, as entertainment, it's flimsy enough to be malleable, so you could really, you know, alter it for your own purposes. Um, well, Henry, we're going we're gonna to have to take a break here and pause because you've said so many little <laughs> nuggets here um, <laughs> that we want to come back to and re- revisit it just about that whole, you know, just leaning into other people's stories and what, you know, how that the reality TV and just through all of this. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. At any given time, millions of Americans are on a diet and on a quest to lose weight. Discovery Health says that the only way to lose fat is to consume fewer calories per day than your body needs. For every 3,500 calories that your body takes from its fat reserves, you lose one pound. You can create that deficit by monitoring and restricting your intake of calories alone. But I believe that the best approach is to exercise and cut back on your calories. By upping your daily exercise and scaling back on your consumption of calories, you are giving yourself a healthy balance that will pay off great dividends. So be sure to add daily exercise to your quest to lose weight. Health, well-being, and a slim body awaits you. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. We are talking with Hillary Manton Lodge, and she delivers a satisfying and intriguing novel that speaks directly to the heart of young Christian women without compromising morality in her new book, Reservations for Two. And we were just talking about how we spend so much time like leaning into a story, such as with reality TV or, you know, People were reading Fifty Shades of Grey. And it, it's almost as if we're living life through others rather than experience, just experiencing it ourselves. Our own story. We yeah. were into other people's stories. Yeah. And it, it, it's almost as if it becomes your story. 
you know, where you, yeah. you, you, I, I don't know. What do you think, Hillary? It's almost as if there's some dopamine drip or something that's happening in our brain that it's <laughs> like, I'm a part of this story. So it's mine. I, I, I know these people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the appeal of reality television is is the fact that at least it's a partly unscripted, that you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And so you've, you know, you're kind of watching for the human response. But I think within all fiction, um, you know, you have that element of inserting yourself into the story and projecting yourself onto the character. I know when I'm reading, um, you know, if a character is, you know, deeply troubled or upset, like, I'll just kind of clench up within myself. It's like, you know, until she kind of, you know, makes it through the other side. Um, You know, and I think, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with escapist media, but I do think that there's, you know, value to making sure that at least some of it has, you know, some kind of, you know, benefit literary or or otherwise. And the other thing I think is just to be, um, you know, careful that there's, you know, no you know, it's not perpetuating, you know, tropes that are ultimately damaging. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to be concerned about within the Bachelor franchise or, you know, or what have you. Um, there really does, you know, nothing positive for women. I mean, you have, you know, a number of women who are placing their their value on, you know, you know, trying to win a man rather than when there's, you know, things that they could be, you know, doing, getting, you know, educated and, you know, having a, a real life, you know, outside of, of TV cameras. So, um, you know, when there's so many other wonderful things, what I, you know, love about things that are scripted, that are intentionally written is that you have an authorial voice that has, you know, purpose and a character arc um, and thoughts and so really has a place to take the reader rather than letting the reader kind of wander off into their own space of, you know, how they would project onto it, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Totally. But, you know, it's so good that um, we need to be having these kind of conversations and not just accept, like, when we watch reality TV and, um, like you said, the the escapism, there's got to be some, I mean, I think we we watch it a lot of times because we want to validate ourselves through it to go, (laughs) but I feel this way or I see that they're struggling and and we kind of live through that. But we, like you said, we have to be so careful that that doesn't become the norm and that doesn't, uh, we don't allow that to dictate our own life and our own values by living through other people. And like you said, it's, um, though it's unscripted, it's highly edited. And so we have to just kind of remember that when we're watching reality shows. But let's just go back for a minute, Beck, to what you're doing and in, in, through storytelling and through your books mm-hmm. and through combining um, food, because food is such a great social connector. I don't care where you are in the world. When you just sit down at a table and you have food or you have coffee, whatever, it is so conducive for, for conversations to flow. And and just, you know, hearing from each other. And as women, that is significant. We need to create those places and that space where we can have these conversations and, you know, being, uh, free to like question each other or, you know, like Patty and I, you know, have those true confession things going, okay. when Patty goes into her confession mode, you know, I really wanted to watch that (laughs) and just talk about it, you know, and and be able to dialogue about it without shame or guilt, but just go, okay. And, and, you know, kind of come to some conclusions as we talk through it and, you know, stories and books, like what you're writing or give a great, 
um, place to start to go, what did you think? And, you know, and, and taking the conversation even deeper. So can you kind of address that? Like, even as you write, what are you hoping that readers walk away with from your, from your books? Well, most of all, I really, I really do want my readers to be entertained. Any author's favorite response to hear is I couldn't put it down. Yeah, I want to tell a story that just really engages, that feels real and genuine, um, and I want readers to engage. I love it when I hear that people are making the recipes that are in the books. I just love that because it's it's a shared experience. It's food that I've eaten. It's food that they can eat, and then we can, you know, all have something fun to talk about. Um, you know, I don't look at myself as a message-driven author. For me, the story comes first, and then any themes that emerge after that, um, you know, I really want them to feel organic to the story. Um, within this this season, um, this series, a lot of the story revolves around what you do and everything is falling apart. And it's really dealing and wrestling with the problem of pain. Now, you know, theologians have been wrestling over that topic for centuries, so it's not like I'm going to, you know, come up with something, you know, that's very fresh that nobody's thought of. But what we see in the book, and I think what has value, is that with Juliet, you get to walk through that and wrestle through that with her. It's a very human struggle. And I want what I really wanted with Juliet and for readers to experience with her is that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to wrestle. That it's really part of this very human process of, you know, kind of understanding, you know, how, you know, difficult life can be sometimes and that you can wrestle and it's really truly possible to come out the other side, but that that, that tension exists in the middle and it's okay to to pay attention to that tension Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think sometimes we're afraid to like admit like I'm struggling with this or I have a challenge with that or I'm questioning that or I'm doubting this and Mm -hmm. it's okay because I think that's how we become stronger that's how we take the conversations deeper we wrestle we kind of we need to come to our own conclusions and you know and search through the lens of God God what would you have me see have me know through this and instead of allowing the world's values and what we see to just we just absorb that without even you know thinking it through um before we get too far though I I know Patty Patty has a question here and I'm going to cut her off because um I want to make sure that you um let our listeners know how they can find you learn more about your books and we have it on our website on our homepage uh, a connection into you but um we want to make sure you get that in I, I'm going to let Patty ask her question now isn't that kind to of me well no I, I wasn't going to ask a question I was going to ask uh, be rude to you and interrupt you go for it um, <laughs> well just when you're talking about uh, being able to ask those questions you know just even talking to God I love that when you're reading a book, and just for our listeners out there to, to challenge them, I know you and I, we're, we're such big advocates uh, on reading, but the difference of when we're talking about the, the reality TV and you know watching the, the Bachelor or whatever, it's one thing when you're just sitting there. My dad used to call it the, the idiot box. Are you watching the idiot box? And, and it used to make me chuckle, but um, now I, I have those same emotions where when you're reading, it does create those questions that come mm-hmm. in. Because it's you're reading that sentence and you have to think about it rather than just staring at someone making these silly choices. Right. You're having to, you know, ponder some of those thoughts. So I just love how you write, Hillary, and that you you are 
you know, just diving in that and, and causing people to challenging them to, to have those conversations in their head. But my, my question before you tell us where we can find out more about you, um, is it a spoiler to ask you to share a little bit of um, Juliet's secrets, some of her family secrets? That's a tricky one. Oh, but which, which part of the secret? There, there are so many secrets. Um, so in book one, she discovers um, after her grandmother has passed away, she inherits um, her grandmother's um, kitchen prep table. And in the drawer of the um, table, there's a cookbook. And under the table, or sorry, under the cookbook jacket, there's a photo of a man, a very old photo that looks exactly like Julia's brother. Um, but it's clearly a very old photo. And so that's kind of the the moment that spurs on the rest of the mystery and trying to figure out who is this man, how are they related, um, and how does this change what she knows to be true about her family and her family's history. Yeah. And so she makes a discovery in book two that answers many of the questions but also creates new ones. And in book three, which I'm working on right now, um, we really get to see everything solved and um, and worked out in a way that I find really um, has been very interesting to me as a as an author. It's really stretched me. We get to find letters between the grandmother and her sister um, in Paris during World War II, and those are in book two. Um, and then in book three, right now, um, we've got. Um, the grandmother's diary when she's in Provence, um, also during the war. And so, like I said, you know, that's what I'm working on right now. Everything might, you know, change at some point during the edit. But it's been um, really very interesting for me to be able to explore a family's history from the point of view both of, you know, the granddaughter in present day, but also the grandmother um, during the 19, the late 30s and the early 40s. Um, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You know, and as much as, you know, there's talking about, you know, you know wrestling with, you know, these, these deep and heavy themes, it's also, it's, it's a very fun, lighthearted book in many ways, this series. Um, so I think it's important to have, you know, pieces that have that range. It's not you know, simply one note, we get to laugh and we get to cry a little bit. Um, well, and it sounds like you kind of graze your way through the story. You know, you have the food yeah. element too. So it's like, totally <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, yeah. Hillary, you know, you get to pause for a snack. Yeah. Well, we're all over that part. Hey, we just have like about a minute. till we have to mm-hmm. uh, take a break and again, remind our listeners um, where they can find you and, and learn more about your books and about what you're doing. Yep, readers can find me at HillaryMantonLodge.com. They can find me on Facebook, um, on Twitter, I'm on Pinterest, I'm on Instagram. And the great thing about my name is that um, there really aren't any other Hillary Manton Lodges, so if they need to, they can just Google me. And um, I love connecting with readers in so many different ways. Well, it's been delightful to just have a conversation with you and, and, and taking us deeper and challenging us. And your books sound very intriguing. And we like even the setting of World War II and going back kind of like the historical mm-hmm. fiction is always kind of fun. And then when you add the food element, you can't go wrong. So you kind of challenge Patty and I maybe look at a recipe or two or not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, but we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that. And, and, uh, and it's, it's just been fun. But we, you can also, just for our listeners, uh, we have on our homepage at Girlfriend at Information how um, our, our listeners can find you. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We're going to continue our conversation with our next guest. <laughs> 
Take a, take a quick break and be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many men and women drink diet sodas almost on a daily basis because they have zero calories and are thought to be harmless. But the truth is, they are not harmless. The University of Texas found that people who consume just three diet sodas per week were more than 40% more likely to be obese. The artificial sweeteners that are in diet sodas lead to -to hard-to-control food urges later in the day. Another study by Purdue found that rats who were fed artificial sweeteners prior to mealtime took in more calories. Every once in a while, drinking a diet soda is fine. But if you're having them on a regular and even daily basis, it's time to switch to water or green tea. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a bug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We have our next guest, Sarah Sundin, and she's the author of the new Wings of the Nightingale series, as well as the Wings of Glory series. Her novel, I'll Be Home for Christmas, in where treetops glisten, is a 2015 finalist in the American Christian Fiction Writers Carol's Awards, and on Distant Shores was a finalist for the 2014 Golden Scroll Award uh, for from both the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, as well as the Christian's Authors Network. And in 2011, Sarah received the Writers of the Year Award at the Christian Writers Conference, but she just launched her new World War II series, Waves of Freedom, with Through Waters Deep, and Anchor in the Storm is expected to release, uh, well, actually, I think, Sari, that just was released, right, this summer? No, it comes out next summer. Next summer in 2016. Through Waters Deep just came out. Okay, so during the commercial break, we, we were laughing that I was sitting at the table with one of my son's friends who happens to be related to you. And um, I just love I'm that. I'm pondering how that, how that yeah, you, works. You, you yeah. are pondering on the connection, but it was it was an in-law in there somewhere. Yes. And it's just <laughs> how small our world is. It is. And 
she was, it, it, we were talking about um, World War II um, pictures of, you know, how you have these um, images from the, the children that have painted things on the walls and just the stories that are be, to be told from that era. And I, I can't imagine the research that you've done in writing these books. Um, it does when you're involved in doing that research, does it kind of put you in a funk or are you able to turn it around through your, your writing to give the, the hope that was there? I think a little bit of both. And also just the fact that the story does, World War II does have a happy ending. Um, good did triumph over evil. And, um, and I think the fact that so many people worked together and, to defeat it, that it has an inherent story of hope in it. So even in the darkest moments, there's that underlying current of the happy ending is coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, is, that helps me. Is that why you like writing stories in that World War II period? I mean, what, oh, yeah. what inspires you to write, you know, from that time frame? There's just so much. I mean, the the scale of the of World War II is just so immense that there are millions of stories, literally, and um, I'm I'm just constantly finding inspiration. And it's it's just a dramatic time, and I think especially for um, Americans, most of the the soldiers and sailors were just ordinary men, and well, obviously the women who served too. They were just ordinary people who suddenly had to step up and do things that they weren't cut out for naturally, and they they filled those roles, and they found that they really could do extraordinary things. And I think that's very inspiring for us, that we think of ourselves as just ordinary people living our boring lives, and we read about people like that and go, wow, I wonder what I could do in a similar situation. Well, it really helps you understand the resilience of the human spirit when you just hear, mm-hmm. you know, these stories and you see how people overcome. And like you said, just ordinary people who, you know, find themselves just, you know, small town America and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're thrown into the world stage and doing things that they never even imagined or dreamed of. And yet a lot of them really did thrive through those. And I think that is encouraging, gives us encouragement to go, okay, you know, pushing through even what obstacles in front of us. Well, and and just like you said, thriving through, I think, you know, our, our first world issues, when you're reading through these stories and you realize, um, just the depth of the pain and the trauma and, you know, just the tragedy that they're going through. And yet they still care about just the simple things in life. You know, where Lisa and I, we we were laughing. She's been in just some crazy travels lately and just telling these horrific stories of some of the things that she's seen and experienced. And then we were, we were laughing because you were worried about your hair. And yet that is so, it's so real for so, you know, it's like, I, I am so sorry that you just witnessed that car bomb, but does my hair look okay? You know, and, and we were, I mean, we literally were like, it was you like, have to almost diffuse it with humor. You yeah, have to find you something do. else. When you're sitting there, um, you, you know, listening to stories and hearing we, I was just in the middle East last week and, um, you're just hearing these stories and, and it, then you have to be, and then, you know, almost to 
to handle it, you go, I'm having a really bad hair day because I didn't get to blow and my hair is very frizzy in this heat right now. And where can I get my hair product? Where can I get I need some products right now. And then you go back into the reality of the moment, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's called the past week. The past week I've um, been, we've been switching from internet phone providers and we've had, we had no internet for a week. And this week the phones are all wonky. And, um, it's been such a hassle for me, and then I'm, you know, reading about these people who are you know, yeah. <laughs> going through war, and and why am I whining about the internet? They don't even have internet. <laughs> exactly, it kind of puts life in perspective, you know. Exactly. And you look at things differently, and um, when you hear of other stories, you're just humbled by what other people endure and have endured, and it just it makes you go, okay, I'm not going to whine and complain anymore. Well, about little things, but I still will. This this kind of yeah, gives yeah. you our our age is showing. But I just remember when you and I, when we were working with our teams, and we had some of our team members that they did not want to do email, and we're like, "You guys have got to step up and get on email because <laughs> we can't call every single person." And this was I don't know, fifteen years ago. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it was forever ago, but it yeah. really wasn't that long ago. And even that, like I I laugh at that. Used to drive me crazy, and mm-hmm. it just seems so insignificant that you know something as simple as get on your email. Don't expect <laughs> me to call you. <laughs> Don't make me be inconvenienced. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit more um, about your your book. Um, just what really, like you said, you know, there's so many stories that are inspiring you. Um, and, and I think it was your your grandfather, right, that served in World War II. Yes, he did. He was a, a pharmacist mate, which is a medic in the Navy during World War II, and he served in the Pacific. Wow did he did he share stories? Because I know, like, I've oh, had family did. members yeah. that served, and they didn't really want to talk about their experience, you know. Yeah. And so and you have those that do and those that don't. So was he like free to? I mean, he just would share stories with you. He was a natural storyteller. He loved to tell stories. And so I, I was blessed to, to hear him. Now, he was one who always found the, the humor. So he would tell the funny stories. But underneath that, you would, you would hear the stories of, you know, of the bad stuff that happened. And half of his unit went to Iwo Jima, and mm. he didn't. And, um, you know, underlying that is the fact that, you know, a lot of the medics who went to Iwo Jima were killed. Right. And so I'm very thank- I'm thankful he wasn't sent to Iwo Jima. Sure. Um, and <laughs> I was supposed to be here. My, my father was born, but I wouldn't have known him, and my father wouldn't have had his father. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm just so thankful. But you so he, the, the truth is always there. You wouldn't be writing these great books. <laughs> Probably not, because I wouldn't have been inspired as much by him. And um, and as, as I said, he was a great storyteller, and he was the type of person. As soon as he started telling a story, everybody would just would shut up and listen and and they say not to laugh at your own punchlines well he couldn't help it and he would start laughing about halfway through the story and everybody else would be cracking up too because they knew that the punchline was coming and by the time the punchline finally came everybody's just in stitches so (laughs) that was the kind of person he was well i know that to, to write a book like this and to go back into history it requires a lot of research um what were some things that you discovered in your research that really kind of were fascinating to you? Well, actually, the, actually the, through Waters Deep was inspired by something in history that really fascinated me because I've been, you know, I've written six full novels set in World War II, and I was reading, you know, I'm reading up around 
the war, too. And I was really fascinated by what was happening in America before we entered the war. Well, the, between 1939 and 1941, Europe was in, at war, but America was still neutral. And there was a huge debate going on in America. It's like, do we need to, should we be entering the war and helping out Britain before they fall? Or should we, is the best way to protect America by, you know, staying on our own shores and letting the Europeans fight their own wars? Mm-hmm. And a huge debate, very angry in tone. Reminds me a lot of the debate in America now, the same bitter and angry and mm-hmm. um, name-calling. It was very similar. Um, and at the same time, we were surreptitiously helping the Allies. We had our warships were escorting British convoys across the Atlantic starting in September of 41, um, three months before Pearl Harbor. And in that time period, one of our destroyers was sunk by U-boat. We were firing at U-boats. We had another destroyer that was damaged. Six of our cargo ships were sunk by U-boats before Pearl Harbor. And all I could think of was, well, why have I never heard this before? I, we right. have this this vision of America, you know, blindly going about their along their way, and then, oh my goodness, Pearl Harbor. But it was such a, a build up to that moment, and we were really we were really at war in the Atlantic before Pearl Harbor. Wow. And so, yeah, I I was rather stunned by it, and all I could think of was, well, why didn't we enter war the war earlier? And and we didn't. So I thought how interesting it would be to tell a story about a naval officer serving on one of these destroyers that's fighting at sea before we're at war, and also showing it on the home front the debate that's raging. And I I used um, my heroine works at the Boston Navy Yard, and she believes there's sabotage going on at the ship and. On the sh- at the shipyard, and she's trying to figure out, is it an isolationist who wants to keep us out of the war, or is it, you know, the ger- German spy, or somebody who wants to get us into the war and trying to make it look like the German did it, and so there's a little bit of mystery plot line, but it, it highlights the the um, the turmoil in America at the time. Well, you know what, as you're saying this, it is really interesting how there are just little pieces of history that we either haven't been told or we're not aware of that when you mm-hmm. find them out, you're like, why didn't we know yes. this? Because I know mm-hmm. even when I was just in the, the Middle East last week, there were things we were discovering going, why don't we know about this? Why? Mm-hmm. And, and it is because it does change the story and it just changed how you perceive it and, and how you even would go forward with that. So it is, it, you know, all these little dots and connecting, it's, it's just fascinating as you start you know, peeling back the layers and going a little deeper and discovering things. Well, Sarah, we're going to have to take a quick break here. And this is fascinating conversation. And Patty and I both are intrigued with this, this uh, portion of time, you know, World War II. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and continue talking with our guest, Sarah Sundin. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. 
My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Low-fat foods can be healthy or unhealthy, depending on what you choose to eat. Whole foods like vegetables, fruit, beans, rice, and potatoes are all low-fat and good for you. Processed low-fat foods are a different story. Eat this, not that, says that the term low-fat is synonymous with loaded with salt and cheap carbohydrates. Many times when the fat is taken out, it is replaced by unhealthy ingredients that are not good for you. The New England Journal of Medicine found that over a two-year span, people on low-carb diets lost 62% more body weight than those on low-fat diets. It's always important to keep your fats low while choosing good, healthy foods to eat. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been chatting with author Sarah Sundin, and we went into the commercial break realizing that when we discover things, it changes the story. And Sarah, you've been known for finding inspiration in your stories from the Bible, um, and, and you talk about Scripture kind of finds its way into the tale in a different way. Um, how, tell us a little bit more how the, the Scripture emerges to you when you're writing the story. Well, it's really interesting. I always go in. I my char- my stories are character driven, as opposed. To, I don't go in with a, a spiritual message that I want to proclaim. I go in with characters who have issues that they need to figure out. And oftentimes, while I'm doing my own personal Bible study, verses will leap out at me. And I'll think that's exactly what Chip needs to hear. <laughs> and, um, and sure enough, while I was working on the very early part of the rough draft of this story, we were studying Nehemiah in my women's Bible study. And I was just struck by how many lessons on leadership there are in Nehemiah and what a wonderful leader he was. And and that was exactly the issue that Jim was struggling with, was how to be an effective leader as a naval officer. And he's always a very easygoing guy who floats with a current, and he needs to learn to step forward and be bold and realize that Nehemiah was just who he needed to hear from. And so I was able to work in some of the story of Nehemiah into the the novel and it wasn't planned it just fit into Mm. who he was and what he needed to learn Mm. that's always so cool when that happens you're like okay god thank you for that little nugget today because that oh yeah so great how you can just weave that in without being so overtly you know biblical but i don't mean that in a bad way but it's like you weave in the values and you just weave that in the messages of god and and how in in a modern day 
you know, narrative. So that's, that's just really cool. And that, and that even makes it even more significant. I think as you read the stories, uh, I agree. And I, I think even, especially with our youth, um, you know, we, we've been doing quite a few shows on just talking about how our, our youth are like leaving. Is it groves or droves? And groves and droves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Sarah, what They're is leaving. it? <laughs> They're leaving the church. They're yeah. not their faith. And I, I think the more we can do it and like give them faith and show them scripture in storytelling versus, you know, this is the, the manufactured time that we're going to be doing our family Bible study and you will memorize this scripture. I mean, that's just my emotion on that. I just feel mm-hmm. that it, it becomes more natural and they know how to apply it in their, in their life is by yeah. doing the, the storytelling. And speaking of that, what what message do you hope readers take away from reading? I love that you're talking about Nehemiah and just in leadership. Do you do you have a bottom line where you go, okay, this is the big idea that I want them to walk away with? Not really, <laughs> because you know my first couple of books I did. I had you know um, it, it didn't come out. I didn't, once again, I start with the characters, but by the time I get to the end, like there's a theme to my story. And like, you know, I'm so excited that my readers will get my theme. And then I get letters from readers, and they'll talk about how the story touched them, and they'll mention something that has nothing to do with my main theme. Mm-hmm. And and I'm also a women's Bible study teacher, and I teach Sunday school for fourth and fifth graders. And one thing I've noticed over the years is when people come up to me and say, this really touched me. There have been times when somebody will say something that I supposedly said that I did not say. Mm-hmm. And I say, this is what I heard, and I, it touched my life. And I'll realize then that all I'm doing is opening my mouth in obedience. And God is taking my words and switching them around and putting them in the woman's ear, what she needs to hear. And... I don't know how he does that, but he does it because he knows what people need to hear. And I found he does the same thing, even with the written word, where it's literally in black and white in front of you. And he still makes it into what each reader needs to hear. And so, as I said, I hear different things from different readers. So now I just throw the story out there. And yes, my characters are learning something, but I hope that my readers will just listen to whatever God has to say through the story because that's the neat part. That is such a neat part. You know, it, it's funny when you when you're talking. I'm, I'm laughing at Lisa, even though I was like really engaged in what you were saying. But I, when when you're saying that, how God does that, I I find it so fascinating because so many times we want to say something so significant, and we we pray and beg God to show up and say, "Use me." I want the, I want them to hear your words, not my words, you know, help me get out of the way. And yet when Lisa and I speak, many times we will speak together and, and people will come up and they would say, you know, when, when Lisa said this and, you know, whatever it was, there was a little, there was a little part of me that I would go, wait, I said that, you know? (laughs) And I was like, okay, isn't that funny? I'm, I'm being way too honest. Um, I love I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. It's exactly what you said. If that's really our prayer, that God give us a voice and just help us get out of the way so people just hear you. And I felt like, and and this didn't just happen one time. Lisa and I laughed about it because whatever we said, 
people would go up to her and say, oh yeah, when Patty said, and they would come up to me and say, when Lisa said, and it was like, okay, yeah. we really are just like one person up there that's talking. <laughs> but God was saying, it doesn't matter who says it. This, this is my voice. And, exactly. um, you know, thank you, you yahoos for getting up there. <laughs> but, but it's really not about what you say. And it was such a good lesson because you, you really are just like you said, it wasn't what your words it was how God spoke to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I love that. That's such a good point. And, and, well, and it shows you how personal God is. Cause like people, they hear, you know, it's like reading the Bible, a, a, a scripture, a verse, and you can read it this year and next year I read yeah. it and I'll see something completely different just because exactly. of where I'm at in life. And I think that's what people, does that mean you only so read cool. it once a year? Once a year. Whether <laughs> <laughs> you need to or not, I do. I'm very consistent with that one year plan. Um, yeah, but you know, it, it is, it's so cool because it's like, yeah, two different people can totally get two different yeah. things, which is, makes it so interesting and intriguing. It and it's got to be rewarding, even like you said, as a as an author to go, really, I said that, you got that <laughs> out of that. And that's so cool how, you know, God uses it and multiplies it. And it's like, it makes it even that much more profound, yeah. you know, when you're yeah. writing. And and I think it, with that, always uh, also kind of the responsibility going, wow, yeah. I hear your responsibility here because you know, the words that God's giving me that are putting on the page are, are changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. That just my little act of obedience and telling a story or opening my mouth when I speak, um, and God's using that. And it doesn't matter. It really, I mean, yes, it does matter what I say. I must speak truth. But in the reality is that God is going to take anything that I yeah. put down for him, right. and he's going to use it. And and I find that just a thrilling thing to be a part of. Well, and, and you know, it's cool. I, I'm envious, but in a, in a godly way that you can write because and, and put things down on paper and, and do the research and make it come alive. Cause that's really is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be an art that I think God, you know, has used you to be able to tell stories and it's fascinating. And, and like Patty and I both, like we said, love the historical fiction mm-hmm. where you learn a little bit about history, but you learn about it through a story and mm-hmm. that's what makes it stick. So, um, I just want to ask first, first of all, we want to make sure we get in where, how our readers can, um, and listeners can find out more about what you're doing and your, and your book through deep waters and, and, um, the waves of freedom series. But also did you, in your research for this, did it take you places like maybe on a, a world war two ship or to uh, see a plane or something that really made it more tangible for you? Oh yes. Thank goodness. I was able to take a, a research trip. Now I live in California and my story is set in, the whole series is set mostly in Boston. So I was able to go to Boston last summer and my aunt lives there. So I've been there before and um, we were able to spend a week there and really get some on the ground research. And I was able to visit two World War II destroyers. There's the USS Cass and Young at the Charleston Navy Yard in Boston. And there's also the USS Joseph P. Kennedy, which is in Fall River, Massachusetts. So I was able to um, visit both of those destroyers and just see all sorts of interesting <laughs> equipment, which is really funny for a girl to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was well, excited. Look, more real this is a practice loading machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just makes it that much more tangible. I think you, you know, it's another way of engaging your senses and you know your story. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm seeing, I'm touching. 
you know, the, the machinery that was used in my mm-hmm. stories. And it's like, yeah. I can envision a pilot sitting here in the cockpit or I can envision that, you know, and it, I always like when I, you know, I love history. And so when I go to old places or, you know, whatever, I always go, okay, the stories they could tell, these walls could tell. I would just love to know what, you know, what all transpired in this room or in this mm-hmm. house or like in this ship. I mean, just letting your imagination go and, yeah. you know, yeah. you're able to let your imagination go and tell a story, which is, is really cool to be able to do that. Okay. So we just have just a couple of minutes before we have to end our show. And again, Patty and I just are so grateful that you joined us today and just sharing your, your insights and your wisdom and your gift of storytelling. What, um, how can our readers find you? And what is something you want them to know just about your writing and your, or your upcoming um, books? Well, they can find me on the Internet. I have a website at www.sarahsunton.com, and my name is Sarah with an H at the end, S-A-R-A-H, and Sunton is S-U-N-D-I-N. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest, and I love to interact with, with readers and and people who don't read and just want to say hi. And... Um, I'm just so thankful to be on the show and being able to to share with everyone today. Okay, give us a little teaser insight into your your next book that comes out next summer. Sure. Um, Anchor in the Storm is the second book in the Waves of Freedom series, and it follows um, Lillian Avery, who is the sister of Jim, who is the hero of, of Through Waters Deep. And she is a pharmacist who is, which is fun because I'm a pharmacist too, and she's trying to prove herself as a female pharmacist. And she also has a physical disability. She's um, She lost part of her leg in an accident when she was a child. So she really has to prove herself. And the shortage of labor helps her to do that because there, there aren't enough men. Um, and she is trying not to pay attention to Jim's best friend, Arch Vandenberg, um, she's convinced he's a stuck-up society boy, and he just wants to find somebody who will love him despite his money, and he thinks Lillian is just wonderful. Um, and he's serving on destroyer. This is in early 1942 when the U-boats were sinking dozens of merchant ships off the U.S. East Coast, and it was just carnage. And so his destroyer is hunting U-boats, off the U.S. East Coast and the frustration. And there's um, a, the mystery is that she thinks that there is a drug ring. Of- Sarah, we're going to have to stop. Okay, sorry. No, it's such a great. We encourage our listeners to go out and grab the book. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great week. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the 